Welcome to a podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Our academy is a national organization committed to excellence in orthopedic manual physical therapy practice, education, and research. And we're here to explore a wide range of topics with you through interviews with content experts. Welcome podcast listeners. This is Kevin McPherson. And today we are joining Dr. Orna Fennelly as we review her manuscript, That was titled Advanced Musculoskeletal Physiotherapy Practice, The Patient Journey and Experience. This manuscript was found in the Musculoskeletal Science and Practice Journal, and it was published in 2020, so a very recent article. Here's some background on Orna. She is currently a postdoctoral researcher for the Irish Center for High-End Computing, and that's after completing a previous postdoc for the Insight Center for Data Analytics. And I assure you, this is the AOMPT podcast because Orna is a physiotherapist, having graduated from University College Dublin in Ireland. That happens to also be the institution that she underwent her PhD training. So when we look at the title of the two centers that she Uh, both has finished a postdoc and is currently doing a postdoc in, it's not hard to see that she uh, appears to be immersed in the data world, in the computer world. And that happens to be the direction that uh, her projects have gone in her research career, having worked on several projects for different health systems that inform the implementation of electronic health records, as well as uh, utilize the clinical data that come from those records to help drive uh, changes in practice and improve outcomes. Now, Orna, typically what I do with an interviewee is I take their name and I plug it into Google to help develop some of the background uh, portion of the interview. And something interesting happened when I did that with you. I got an image that popped up of you in a green jersey holding a wooden stick. Uh, Is that you preparing for the uh, first round of revision requests for this manuscript? Or is that something else? That could have been my viva preparation, maybe, of my PhD. Um, That's an Irish sport, actually, um, called Camogie. Now, I'm fortunate and very unfortunate that I'm likely the only Orna Fennelly in the world that I've found so far. So sometimes those pictures that maybe you don't always want everybody to see do appear, but that is a sport similar kind of to hockey, lacrosse um, type sport. Um, and yes, we use sticks, we wear helmets. It's, it's supposed to be a non-contact sport, but it can be quite, <laughs> there's a lot of contact I suppose with those sticks, but yeah, no, it's a great sport. So Komogi is the um, female version and then hurling is the male version. So if you have never seen it, I would advise maybe looking it up on YouTube. It's quite an exciting sport to watch. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I spent some time living in Chicago and they have two uh, Irish heritage centers and they frequently do have uh, at least a hurling version. I've seen they'll, they'll do demonstration games and whatnot during their uh, different celebrations throughout the year. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be a much, uh, much more interesting uh, discussion. So, well, thanks. Thanks for explaining that. And thanks for pointing the listeners to something new to, to look into. So Orna, let's, let's get into your manuscript. Um, before we do that, let's, let's kind of put a little definition in there. So this is looking at advanced uh, practice physiotherapists. Now, how would that differ from, say, an entry-level physiotherapist 
uh, or I believe it's the Chartered Physiotherapists and Manipulative Therapy. I think that's the uh, Irish version of, say, a, a fellowship trained PT. What's the difference? So I suppose initially, just to put into context, in Ireland, we have, I suppose, three levels of physiotherapy. Um, so as you mentioned, kind of your entry level, which we, we consider maybe a basic grade physiotherapist, your senior level physiotherapist, and then your clinical specialist level physiotherapist who's using musculoskeletal respiratory or neurology. So advanced practice came into Ireland around kind of the noughties, um, and it essentially it's a new level of practice that's different to your clinical specialist level and that they have a higher kind of clinical responsibility and a higher level of autonomy. And often they are performing tasks which we would have traditionally seen as your medically controlled tasks. Um, now, within Ireland, we do not have um, legislative rights to order diagnostic imaging, but in the likes of the UK and Canada, where those rights are in certain states, um, that would often be part of the advanced practice physiotherapist role. And it's something that we're working on in Ireland at the moment as a profession to advocate for a change. But other traditionally medically controlled tasks that the advanced practice physiotherapists in Ireland would perform would include injecting patients. Um, I suppose they're making, they're making um, they more autonomy to make decisions regarding whether a patient is suitable for surgery and, get, and send them for a pre-surgical appointment with a consultant. Um, referring them directly to a consultant, which is something within the Irish Health Service, the general practitioners are um, in the US maybe referred as primary care physicians. They are the gatekeepers. So traditionally they would have been the referrer into the consultant, whereas now this advanced practice physiotherapist has access to different specialities. So again, it is a higher clinical responsibility, higher level of autonomy essentially. But again, in Ireland, we are currently um, advocating for that level of practice to be recognized. So at the moment, they are still considered clinical specialist physiotherapists, although they're operating at an advanced level of practice. So that's again something that the profession in Ireland is working towards getting a defined role, um, a defined grade within our health service. Okay. And for the listeners, I believe by naughties, she's referring to the early 2000s, yes. uh, not not kind of the colloquial term that we have in the U.S. Yeah. Now, just because you kind of brought up some of that training uh, component of it, I thought I read something in the manuscript where there was a, a reference to there not necessarily being consistency in the training for an APP. Did I read that wrong? Or um, No, that's completely correct. So generally... The, those physiotherapists will have completed uh, a master's in musculoskeletal therapy. But when they're training to become, to operate at that advanced level, it's usually on an ad hoc basis. So it's within their hospital, similar, I suppose, to the fellowship programs you might see in the US, but it's not, there's not a consistent level on standard that, and I suppose competencies that they have to meet. And that again is something actually that I've been looking into since my PhD as well what type of training programs exist internationally to develop an advanced level of practice and what type of competencies do we need to have defined in Ireland? Just, I suppose it builds the trust of the public and also the physiotherapist can identify, look, I've met these competencies and it's consistently across all the hospitals that every consultant is training them to meet each of these competencies. And then it kind of creates more of a transferability across hospitals and it, in, it enhance, or 
enhances career progression as well. So at the moment, it was it is relatively inconsistent in that after you they have a master's level, but in terms of the advanced level competencies, that is quite dependent on the consultant at the moment in Ireland. Okay. And consultant so, doctor, sorry, just to clarify that. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, when I when I like try to put this in a, the frame or the field of PT in the U.S., like the you kind of have a hybrid of more of our military type practice here in what these practitioners are able to do. And a lot of the therapists here kind of, um, they kind of point to the military as, well, well, they're doing it, why can't we do it? And of course, there's legislative and, and turf war type issues that we deal with in the states. Is that something where you've got to look at both policy and training, or is this something where you guys do have enough autonomy to, to kind of level the, the playing field from a training standpoint without having a lot of, uh, for lack of another term, legislative changes. Yeah, I suppose um, in Ireland, within the private health sector, so we're, we've, we have a public health service, but then physiotherapists are also operating in a private capacity where they operate as first contact practitioners. So once you complete your bachelor's physiotherapy program in Ireland, you can operate at that autonomous level and if a patient can come in off the street and attend their local physiotherapist. So in terms of that, I suppose we're starting off on a good footing when we're trying to advocate for these advanced level practices because we already have the first contact. Um, sorry, I'm going off point now. Um, what was the rest of that question? No, that, that, that was it. So, um, so the um, to, to kind of sum that up, you're not dealing necessarily with the initial battles legislatively because you were able to start off autonomously, whereas in the U.S. We, we started off kind of within a model and have lived underneath the medical profession pretty much most of our, our, our profession's lifetime. Uh, so uh, that was really where, where it seems you were going with that. Is that kind of a correct frame? Yes, and I suppose then we have other battles in terms of, as I mentioned already, the diagnostic imaging, medication prescriptions, which have, I suppose, we, we often compare to the UK because we have the role of physiotherapist is quite um, similar in both uh, Ireland and the UK. And they have, as was advocated for, and have got that higher, that autonomy to order diagnostic imaging and, and prescribe medications. And that's where we're looking towards and working towards getting to. But again, it is, it can be a battle. <laughs> so I understand yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Well, at least we know where you're heading. And we also kind of have a better understanding as uh, US listeners uh, to the differences between the system. So now having that, let's move into your project. Can you give us kind of a brief overview of this project and some of the outcomes that you had with it? Yes. Um, so this particular paper was one of several looking at the Irish um, Advanced Practice Physiotherapy Service. And this is what I did as part of my PhD. So this particular study is a qualitative study. And I was exploring the experience of patients who had attended an advanced um, practice physiotherapist in um, orthopedic or rheumatology clinics. So essentially, I conducted semi-structured interviews with um, patients who agreed to participate and performed a thematic analysis, which I can go into more detail if we need to. And essentially, the, the main results that came from that regarding the patient's experiences of these um, advanced practice physiotherapists was, first of all, 
they were very um, satisfied with the wait time. So again, this is we're talking about the public service in Ireland where wait times are extremely long for orthopedics and rheumatology. So they identified that by attending this advanced practice physiotherapist, they felt they were getting into a service much quicker. And also they were getting to see a clinician who they felt was extremely knowledgeable, professional, and also had the added skills of being a physiotherapist, but also knowing what the surgical, well, they didn't use this term, but this is my um, understanding, what the kind of surgical threshold was and whether they were appropriate to be referred on to a consultant. And because these advanced practice physios operate alongside a consultant, they also had that added confidence that if they needed to go on for a surgical opinion, they they had that opportunity because they were so close to it and they also, they trusted in the advanced practice physiotherapist to make that decision. Other areas that came out then were with regards to the location. So at the moment, this is within the hospital setting. And when in Ireland at the moment, we are considering whether we should be moving out into the primary care setting and the community setting, rather than getting these patients into the hospital when they don't actually need any further surgical or medical intervention. But when when they were questioned around this, they identified the hospital as the preferred location because they see that as where the specialists are, where they can get investigations like x-rays and MRIs if they need it. And although these patients were mainly rural patients, so um, the two hospitals that we were looking at, one was in Dublin, which is the capital of Ireland, which is a large city of over a million people. And the other hospital was in a city of about 50,000 people. But these patients even lived more rurally so had to travel up to an hour to get to their hospital appointment, but they still felt it was worth it because they have this opinion that that's where the specialists are. So that was another interesting finding that came out of the study. Okay. So you um, described in an analysis portion, we don't need to get into really the weeds of the analysis, but do you mind just really quickly going over kind of how this is a different type of study compared to maybe a more quantitative study that uh, a lot of therapists uh, in the U.S. tend to be a little bit more versed to understanding the mechanisms behind. Um, yes. So, I suppose, I suppose, firstly, um, I suppose, quantitative studies we're all more familiar with, kind of more tends to be more numerical data, whereas with qualitative, it's more exploratory study. So, the reason I suppose initially we wanted to use a qualitative study was because we already knew that patients were satisfied with the service. But we didn't know what aspects made them satisfied. Was it the fact that they were, was it the wait times? Was it, so when you're using a satisfaction survey and you get your numerical data, and the benefits of that is that you can usually get it on a large sample size. Whereas with qualitative research, you can explore and delve deeper into, I suppose, their reasons for saying that they prefer one thing over another. What are their opinions and their perspectives? So it adds a lot more, um, I suppose, weight in that sense, but often it'll be a smaller patient sample. Um, and then okay. I suppose just to quickly describe the methods that we were using was kind of a semi-structured interview. So I myself would have conducted that interview using a topic guide, which again, it was an interview or a conversational style um, interview where I used the topic guide, discussed their opinion. And if they, it was an iterative guide. So if they started to go down one way, I suppose pretty much like this podcast as well, that would lead my questioning that way as well and trying to keep as open-ended as possible. In terms of the analysis then, so having um, recorded the interviews, 
just to make people a bit more familiar about the process, I then would transcribe them. I also would have kept field notes during the interview because often you get a sense when you're speaking to someone, okay, they felt that that was quite a positive. You get it from their expression. So you do need to keep note of all those aspects as well. Then record, I then transcribed all the interviews into um, text document and then using software myself and another researcher, um, Dr. Katrina Cunningham, would have performed a thematic analysis. So that would have involved us reading and rereading the interviews over and over again, identifying what we would deem codes. So for example, in this particular study, a code could have been wait time. So whenever the patient was talking about wait times, all of that data would have gone into that code. And then throughout an iterative process, going over um, it, we would have coded all of the data and then um, teams emerged from that. So the teams then were discussed between the researchers. We compared where we coded just to give the data more credibility as well, having two researchers, having, um, I suppose, a reliability that we're both I suppose, reading the same thing. So often we, we may have disagreed on some aspects. We discuss it, look at the field notes as well to see were we reading it correctly? Was that what the patient was or the participant was trying to say? So that's essentially, I suppose, a really very brief overview of the thematic analysis now. No, that was very good. I uh, did a qualitative uh, research study looking at fellowship and some of the changes that are perceived to occur through fellowship for the individuals. And I can tell you that trying to to, to put into words what that study looks like, uh, you did a much better job than any of the attempts I have ever done. So uh, cheers to you on that one. So with the qualitative, um, one of the things that I, I know, again, having done one of these, is that it, it can be very easy to start to gear somebody's line of thought or their responses towards a direction you want to take them. Uh, what, what might you have done to kind of put a check into kind of asking them questions where you're, you're going to get the answer that you want that reinforces a theme that you already know is starting to emerge? Yes, I completely agree. That could be quite difficult as well. Um, and you have to be so, I suppose, self-aware and kind of practicing, I suppose, re reflexivity, I suppose, and being aware of what your biases are and that you're trying to keep a completely open mind. Um, I suppose that is one of the challenges with qualitative research. Um, and it's probably one of, I suppose, you could consider the limitations because you are the very, you're very dependent on the researcher in terms of what results you get. So firstly, mm -hmm. in terms of what rapport you build with that interviewee. And I suppose as physiotherapists in this background and being used to conducting subjective um, assessments of people, yes, because you are on, you're starting off on a good footing, but I definitely was, became completely aware that I had to keep every time step back and make sure that I wasn't delving and leading the participant in any way. And also as the other areas was that because you have, you have 10 interviews and you're, you're looking at them all and we did see teams emerging, but we stayed while the topic guide might have changed slightly, rephrased questions more than changed. We kept along the same areas so that we were touching on the same topics with each interview. But I do think it's something that anyone that's going in to do qualitative research. And again, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in the area at all, but definitely something that I was aware of myself was that trying to keep the questions open as possible. But another challenge with this particular study was that I was asking participants about one single interview the majority of the time. Two of them had, our, had attended two appointments, but that's for a participant to be able to recall that appointment. At times I did have to direct them 
towards that appointment. So sometimes my questions had to be a little bit more direct because they could start talking about, they might be talking, I might be talking about the back, um, their lumbar spine condition that they had attended the advanced practice physio for. And they start, t- they start talking about their shoulder condition when they had frozen shoulder um, 10 years ago and they had attended a physiotherapist for that. So you often have to bring them back to it. And sometimes the questions have to get a little bit more direct and you can't complete it. With a study like this, I was unable to, I suppose, undertake, I suppose, a grounded theory approach where you leave it very open. You just ask them to tell you about their experience altogether. But because I was speaking about a specific appointment, I did have to keep it a bit more semi-structured and a bit more direct in that sense. It did seem like there were uh, at least a couple of individuals that you you had to um, really orient to uh, a lot of things. In fact, mm-hmm. some of them, I, I believe, didn't actually know that they were seeing an advanced practice physio uh, until the interview. Is, is, that, is that correct? Yes, that was a really interesting finding for me as well. Um, and I suppose it was something I was concerned about then. Was, um, because, well, first of all, I'll just point out that each of these patients were sent an appointment letter explaining to them what the advanced practice physiotherapist clinic was they had the opportunity to refuse to attend that appointment and attend the consultant instead so this information would have been given to them and the physiotherapist although i wasn't in the appointments they would say they have they introduced themselves every time as a physiotherapist but it's this i suppose this perception of what a physiotherapist is to the public these advanced practice physiotherapists tend this is a minor thing but they tend to wear their own clothes which in Ireland, generally, the, when you see someone dressed in their own clothes, it tends to be a doctor, whereas physiotherapists tend to be wearing um, a T-shirt, occupational therapists who are wearing their own T-shirt, nurses, everyone has their own uniform, whereas doctors tend to wear their own clothes, which is what these advanced practice physios do. And because they were getting an appointment within an orthopedic and a rheumatology clinic, again, it's what, I suppose this is a completely new concept for for the public in Ireland, that you are not going directly in to see a doctor. So that was quite interesting. And I, and I, what was also very interesting was that when I kind of I explained to them when I sat down, I suppose maybe they were a bit more aware when I was talking to them and we sat down, we're, we're only talking about that appointment. They became aware of it. And it, to be honest, they, not one of them, they still voiced that they were very happy to have seen that advanced practice physiotherapist. But there was one, or sorry, it was two patients, two participants out of the 10 who said when they did read the letter and they saw that it was a physiotherapist and they both reported that that gave them a, a negative, I suppose, preconception because they'd already seen a physiotherapist and they were wondering what additional, what additional aspects were they going to find out from attending this advanced practice physiotherapist. But having attended the appointment, they did, they did realize that they, those particular patients, our participants had um, had the option to be referred on, had the option to be referred for a clinical um, imaging. They could get input from the doctor, which one of them did at the appointment. So there were they kind of realised then that this was a different type of appointment. And that um, that clarifies a little bit. In, in fact, perception is everything, right? And yeah. One of the things that I thought was funny was uh, one specific quote. Uh, I believe it was Emma was the pseudonym that was used for this one participant where uh, she basically said that that shortened wait time moving from years to just a, you know months uh, gave her the perception that maybe they weren't going to see the highest quality individual. 
Yes, again, that was another very interesting point. And this particular um, participant known as Emma for the purpose of the study, she would have thought that she was going to see a doctor or a consultant level doctor. And when, so when she saw the letter and realized that her appointment was uh, less than as these, these participants expected really long waiting times and they were being seen a lot quicker, she, yeah, it was interesting that she compared that if you have a long waiting list, you are considered to be good because everybody wants to see you. So if you have a short waiting list, that that is a concept. Or a, a, I suppose, and it's not. I suppose it's not showing the Irish Health Service in a good line that people expect to be waiting over a year for an appointment. But it's I suppose in our Phoenix Rheumatology, unfortunately, at the moment the waiting times are quite long, and it's something that I suppose initiatives like this, like the Advanced Practice Physiotherapists, um, are are a huge benefit to that. So when I think about the advanced practice physio, I'm thinking of somebody who is uh, more of a frontline provider and somebody who is kind of a secondary gatekeeper from the way you're explaining it. However, when I look at the duration of complaints that these patients have, it's one to seven years. So what's the need to have this second level of assessment? What what change has happened if they're already at a level of chronicity that would warrant them now undergoing some additional testing? You know, surgery is kind of a, a given with certain progressive diseases, but why why do you need to see an advanced practice practitioner if they're already at a level of chronicity? Oh yes. Um yes, yeah, so yeah, these patients, yeah, for they had their conditions for a mean of seven years. And then as you said, at times some of these patients may be surgical, um, depending if they have if it's patients presenting to the orthopedic ward. But usually, when the pay, when the referral comes from what we refer to as a general practitioner or the primary care physician in the U.S., that referral comes into the hospital and it is usually screened by a paper triage of the letter. So. That referral may be screened by the advanced practice physiotherapist or it may be screened by the consultant doctor themselves. They are trying to identify, I suppose, who are the patients who are surgical from the letter or else if it's in the rheumatology clinic who may be um, who may have an inflammatory condition so that the advanced practice physiotherapist then can triage the care of the other patients. Now, I suppose it's a bigger question in that there is a huge amount of patients being referred in specialist services, but yet from a previous study that I did looking at the number of patients being seen by the advanced practice physiotherapist, about approximately 80% um, of those could actually be managed by the advanced practice physiotherapist and then either referred on to for further physiotherapy treatment or could be discharged after being given advice. So that's quite interesting in that a lot of patients clearly on these waiting lists do not need medical or surgical interventions, which is the reason that the advanced practice physiotherapist service was one of the leading factors for why it was set up in the first place. So that might stem back to are patients being incorrectly referred into hospital settings? Is it that the waiting lists are so long that the gatekeepers feel they need to refer them in at this point because they may not see be seen by for a year? Is it that they want this patient really wants to be seen in the hospital? Again, leading kind of coming back to my previous point in that the hospital is seen as the specialist, the seen as, seen as another step. But yet that might not be the most appropriate place for them to be. So I suppose essentially having this triage role at the moment in the secondary care setting is helping 
with the long waiting list for those services. But ideally, what I would see happening and what I think a lot of the advanced practice physiotherapists would see as happen would a uh, good move towards would be a primary secondary care interface so that we're getting these patients before they're at that level of chronicity. We're giving them the advice. And if they do get a flare up or they do worsen or deteriorate, that the advanced practice physiotherapist within that primary care setting could then refer them in as an appropriate patient rather than having all these patients waiting for years and then 80% of the patients who get to the advanced practice physiotherapist actually can either get discharged or referred on to another speciality for conservative treatment. So um, now your answer, your response makes me reflect a little bit more now. So on the US and one of the things that we have, we, we've got wait times, but they're not near that long. But one of the, the things that we've tried to pitch towards more the orthopedic practitioners while we're trying to get direct access to patients as opposed to coming through a, a referral or a consultant process uh, is you know if they come to us first and you know that there's a very large percentage that will not need surgery and will not need uh, injections or other higher uh, risk interventions you know does it not make sense for that set of patients to start with us, we screen it out. That way, the average number of individuals coming into that orthopedic physician's office uh, will have a much higher likelihood of needing something that's uh, a higher risk procedure or is a surgical intervention. So that kind of like matches what we're looking at, but it's definitely not the, the duration of time. Um, and I, you know, arguably that is also likely due to the differences in health systems and uh, how we're, we're, you know, predominantly a private pay uh, health system model. But so Orna, one of the other themes that came out, or at least one of the things that was repeated was the advanced practice physio having more time with the patients has uh, a comparison to the consult. They were they were kind of surprised at the amount of time they got to have. Now, do you see has there is an increase in the use uh, and avail availability of advanced practice physios that that period of time that the physio uses to assess patients will become less to the point where it's near similar to what those specialty consults or those specialty physicians need? Um, yes, I definitely think so. From um, one of the previous studies, which was a survey of the advanced practice physiotherapists, they, the amount of time they had been in their role, the less time correlated with less time within the appointment. So as they became more experienced um, in that advanced practice role and they've been trained up, they felt that the appointments could be shortened down. So. Yes, and I suppose for the patients, they felt it was quite important and they, they identified it as a benefit of the advanced practice physiotherapist that the appointment, they felt that they had longer to speak about um, their experiences and the issues. And also for the advanced practice physiotherapist, the length of the appointment also allowed them some time to give advice, to advise exercises. So it wasn't just, I suppose, a triage role. There are those additional benefits. So I suppose the, the, according to the last study, a new appointment was um, less than 30 minutes. So generally consultant appointments might be about 15 minutes. 
So we were seeing the advanced practice was 20 to 30, depending on, I suppose, it will depend on the patient, obviously, but it also depends on, I suppose, the experience and the longer they've been in the role, the more familiar they are with different um, patient presentations, the less input they need from the consultant doctor as well. As I said previously, because they're along, they are co-located with the consultant. If there is a, a particular case where they feel this patient could potentially require a consultant doctor referral, but if I can call the doctor in for two minutes, then that decision can be made and that patient may not have to return for another appointment. So that that is one of the benefits and I suppose that the appointments vary in terms of time with that. But definitely they are shortening down and although they, I imagine that they will still remain slightly longer than the consultant appointment and they will be allocated more time for that because the consultants are under a huge amount of time pressure and they have a huge team. So they are giving input to an advanced practice physiotherapist, but they're also giving input to their registrars too. So I imagine that their appointments would still remain um, within that shorter bracket compared to the advanced practice physios. Okay. Do you feel that uh, has, a, has an autonomous profession? Do you feel that there might be a desire on the physios to keep it longer that can balance out with the system need. I mean, it sounds to me if the wait lists are still so long, there, there's almost a, a health system impetus to, to maybe push them more towards that consultant length. Do you feel that the physios do have good ground to, to push back and say, no, 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 this is, this is the length that we need for our type of assessment? Yes. And I think that from my point of view, I think it's extremely important. And from this study that I conducted with the patients, they found it extremely important because they were getting their advice and they were getting their appropriate exercises, things explained to them in more detail. And they felt they had time to speak about their condition, which seemed to be extremely beneficial to them. So I think if the that advanced practice role becomes purely a triage role, where a patient is in, it's deciding if they need to be referred onwards or they need to be referred back to physio or back to their general practitioner. I think, I don't um, believe that's the way to go with it because I do feel it would lose what this, what the benefit of an advanced practice physio is as opposed to having another doctor in that role. Now, obviously there's, the doctors will have additional skills in a different area, but the advanced practice physiotherapist, and I've heard this anecdotally from consultant doctors that I've spoken to as well, in that they add, they have this added benefit in that they can identify patients who may benefit more from surgery. So physiotherapists, we see the patients after the hip replacements, after the knee replacements. We can see who has, a, um, a, I suppose, better outcomes after them, whereas the, the doctor may not be as familiar with that because they're not seeing the patients, I suppose, as regularly after the surgery as physio is. So they have all this extra knowledge. So I do think that going towards a purely triage role would not be the way to go because we would lose some of the benefit. And I think for the physios as well, I know as well from, from that study I completed with them and also from speaking to them that they see it as they do not want to lose that part of the role either because it is part of being a physiotherapist as opposed to being in a, a medical profession or a doctor. Yeah, that, that fine balance between the needs of the system and the needs of the patients. And your research obviously here has done a, an excellent job of conveying the, the needs and desires of the patients, which ultimately, you know, we wouldn't have healthcare if it weren't for them, right? Yeah, exactly. And I do think for the, the fact that the patients can attend one appointment and then potentially not all, some of them were discharged straight after that appointment because they were got the advice and they were reassured as well. And that was a big, 
and finding actually as well just to point out from the study was getting that reassurance in the hospital that they were not they did not need surgery was actually a huge benefit for them it really reassured them and then they felt and felt comfortable it was just getting that reassurance from someone that they deemed extremely professional and knowledgeable in the area just meant that they could kind of go out continue their exercises continue their different treatments that they're using and get on with their life as well so that reassurance was important Order. there's obviously a lot more things that we can discuss regarding this project and health system differences between mm-hmm. our two countries but uh, we're, we're going to bridge it here. Um, just so we know, like, uh, are there any other projects that the listeners might want to keep an ear out f- coming from uh, all of the work you're doing over there? Well, I suppose in terms of the advanced practice role, um, the group, I, although I have, I have left um, UCD um, in Dublin, I remain on the group, the advanced practice research group. So we have a study under review regarding what training and competencies are um, are required to be an advanced practice physiotherapist, both in Ireland and internationally. So that should hopefully be published in the net, um, soon. And I suppose from, as you said, my role, maybe a knock, I haven't knocked on the conventional physiotherapist role. So while I'm very still very involved in advocating for the profession and working with the professional body in terms of advocating for the legislative change for diagnostic imaging, I am actually the projects that I'm currently working on relate to the electronic health record and also linking health databases within um, the Irish Health Service. So that's completely, it's a bit sideways, but it's very exciting. The uh, One of the things that happens to a lot of the fellows that um, as they move on their career, they, they go a couple of different directions. And one uh, direction, a lot of them end up going into whether they want to or not ends up being policy. So mm-hmm. all of the information that you're bringing to the, the body of knowledge for physiotherapy is, is really very important to us. And we appreciate all the, the efforts that you put into it. Is there, um, so there's going to be people that probably have some follow-up questions. Uh, is there a good way that you would like them to contact you? Um, yeah, for anyone who has any questions or wants links to any of the studies, um, you can contact me. Um, I'm on Twitter. So as I said, at the start of the podcast, my name is quite unique. So it's my Twitter name is literally my name. So at Orna Fenley. So that's O-R-N-A-F-E-N-N-E-L-L-Y. And I can also be contacted by email as well, if you prefer. So that is O-R-N-A. So Orna.Fenley, F-E-N-N-E-L-L-Y at ucdconnect.ie. So those, um, my email address is actually on the publications as well. So if anyone needs it, be happy to answer any questions or get in contact regarding any kind of research opportunities or anyone interested in electronic health records in Ireland, I'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, provided that you don't have the green jersey and the stick, the, oh, yeah. then we need to stay away from <laughs> you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Orna Fenley, we greatly appreciate the efforts you put into it, and we greatly appreciate your time. And I hope you have a wonderful day over there. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's a bit wet and windy here in Ireland, but I wish you the same. And thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Thank you. This has been a production of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. You can learn more about the Academy by visiting our website at aaompt.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for our acronym, AAOMPT.
The views and opinions expressed on the AAOMPT podcast are those of the interviewers and interviewees and do not represent the official position of AAOMPT. The information presented should not be used as personal health care or clinical practice advice. If you need to find an expert orthopedic physical therapist near you, then check out the Find a Fellow feature under the Public Resources tab at www.aaompt.org, which you can find in the show notes.